0: All right, welcome back to Unqualified Analysis. Uh, we're we're done with football season, baby. It's uh, you know what it is. At, I, on one hand, it's it's a relief. It two episodes a week. It uh, in addition to having a full time job, it certainly wears on you, folks. I'll tell you what. It's uh it's a gauntlet. But man, um, I I feel like um I have no idea what to do with my hands. I, I mean, my favorite sport is is done for the year. I mean, we we've we've been hearing the the canary in the coal mine, or more accurately, not hearing the canary in the coal mine, which is the is the indicator. By the way, that's not one thing I learned this week. If the canary stops chirping, it means you've got some gas problems in the coal mine. You should get the hell out of there as soon as you possibly can. Uh, we don't treat those canaries very well, but they serve a very valuable purpose. I digress. The point is, we knew that this was coming we all we all knew that the end of the football season was just right around the corner here but uh, to have it just just be here so suddenly so suddenly here in this this second week of February I am um I don't know what to do with my hands here folks I, I don't know what to do with my hands here I'm I'm listening I'm listening I mean no no free shout outs but here's a free shout out real dictators listening back to their series on Adolf Hitler again that's Good times, you can tell. I'm really starting to. I mean, I'm a I'm a 45 year old man stuck in a nearly 28 year old man's body. Uh, I've 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 listened to a lot of uh, World War II history. That's it's a pretty good indication. What is the what is the phrase of of Shane Gillis that he likes to say when you really start getting into history? It's it's early onset Republican. Not sure about that in in this case, but uh, you know what? I I understand it. I understand. I'm very much very much getting into history now that uh, now that the NFL season is officially over. But uh, that's neither here nor there, folks. We had ourselves a instant classic of a Super Bowl last night. As I'm recording this, it'll be two nights ago. As you're hearing this. Boy, oh boy, do we have some stuff to talk about. I got some headlines as well as far as off the field is concerned, a little bit of college, a little bit of pros. Overall, if this thing goes over an hour and 15, smack me. I've I've just been talking in circles for entirely too long, which the fact that I've got a, I mean, we're going on nearly three-minute intro here, it probably tells you that I might be in a bit of a rambling mood, but hopefully not. Hopefully not here, folks. Uh, but anyways, I've got my caffeine right here. Uh, we we've got a you know a little bit of a a little bit of a little bit of energy coming in here after a, a long day of work. Maybe a little slap happy. I don't know. Either way, uh, got some caffeine here, and we're just gonna bang this thing out. All right. So I'm gonna take a quick gulp of this here uh, cold carbonated caffeinated beverage. Uh, by the way, had a had an energy drink with uh, lunch as per usual. Probably need to cut down on the caffeine a little bit, but uh, yeah, I'm gonna take a gulp of this. Then we're gonna get into the Super Bowl, so let's get her going. <sighs> Soothing to the throat for whatever reason just at the back of the throat today. Had a had a little bit of scratch there. Maybe I'm getting a cold? Probably not. My my immune system is the, is the Berlin Wall, which you know what some people may say, that's a weird comparison. I mean, the Berlin Wall did fall, not so fast, my friend. Not not so fast. Uh, the Berlin Wall only fell when the Soviet Union disbanded, folks. Berlin Wall stood tall and strong for as long as it uh, as they chose to let it live uh, long and strong. What am I even talking about right now? I don't know. Let's talk about the Super Bowl. Uh, We had a dandy of a matchup there in Las Vegas as the San Francisco 49ers matched up against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs, the modern dynasty, officially coordinated themselves as such. They get their third championship in six years. Patrick Mahomes' third championship. Back-to-back championships after trading Tyreek Hill out of town. It is officially time to start talking about the Chiefs as a dynasty. Already, kind of thought of them that as that, but I mean, you get back to back championships, three championships in in I believe it's actually five seasons. Both of them, both last two, uh, well not both of them, two of the two of the three championships are over the Forty ers Brutal, brutal, t- uh, two straight games lost in the Super Bowl uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, that's just kind of what happens when you run into Jordan, I suppose. But yes, the Chiefs are officially in Dynasty territory, and Patrick Mahomes, 28 years old, Only six seasons uh, starting at quarterback, full season starting at quarterback. He's been in the AFC Championship every single year. He has been in the Super Bowl four of the six years, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, because one year it was the Patriots that got there. Uh, The other year it was the Bengals that got there. Otherwise, Patrick Mahomes is just boom, championship, boom, championship, boom, championship. Um, Yeah, the, the Chiefs are incredible. And the fact that they did this with, I mean, maybe the worst overall team as far as a personnel standpoint goes uh, that Patrick Mahomes will ever have just from an overall perspective. At Well, let me backtrack a little bit on that. Worst offense that Patrick Mahomes will probably ever have throughout the course of his entire career, the fact that they were able to just ride that defense uh, to a championship is um, I mean, it speaks to the overall greatness of not only Patrick Mahomes, it speaks to the overall greatness of Andy Reid, Steve Spagnolo. By god, they absolutely hit the lottery on that one. This is kind of what the Minnesota Vikings did in a little bit of a different way, but if you got a defensive coordinator that can absolutely call a defense with the best of them, and you know. 99 to 99.9% sure they are not going to get another head coaching opportunity for various reasons. Brian Flores, we've been over that before. Is it fair? No, but the man is suing the prospective people that would be hiring him, so probably a non-starter there. And you saw that throughout the course of these uh, head coaching interview cycle. Not a peep about Brian Flores. A little bit different there, but Steve Spagnuolo, a guy that's already gotten a head coaching opportunity, didn't do particularly great when he was with the Rams, um, kind of past that uh, hiring windows, kind of same thing that Luana rumo has got right now. If you got a guy like that that's probably not going to get a head coaching opportunity again but can call the hell out of a defense, that is just perfection. Music to the ears of a offensive-minded head coach like Andy Reid who doesn't call the plays anymore but obviously very, very integral in putting the offense together, draws up the plays, all that sort of stuff. That's the that's the bread and butter right there. If you want continuity going forward, you want to build a championship team when you have an offensive head coach or really just the, any head coach with a, a certain specialty like Mike McDonald, um, he'll probably end up having to replace Ryan Grubb at some point because if Ryan Grubb does well enough, he'll probably end up um, getting head coaching opportunities of his own. But, I mean, look at... Um, uh, I'm trying to think uh, what the offensive coordinator version of this uh, would be, and it's its hard to come up with it. Like, Eric Bieniemy at this point, God love him. He had all the opportunities in the world. Um, seems like we have a pretty clear uh, picture at this point that... Um, you know, maybe he is not um, his bedside manner. We'll just put it this way: bedside manner, not Eric Bienenme's specialty. We'll 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 just put it that way. Um, maybe maybe uh, in some interviews, a little bit on the, on a the testier side. Maybe maybe not quite the even keeled person, the CEO type that you want uh, uh, piloting the ship, if you will. That seems to be the running theme. Um, you've heard rumblings over and over again about him being a little bit harsh on his players. Kansas City loved him when he was there because they were winning a whole lot. A little bit different story, it seems like, with the commies. But a guy like that, someone you know, is probably past the point of getting a head coaching opportunity. That is who you want as your coordinator on the side of the ball that is not your specialty. That's what Kansas City has in Steve Spagnuolo right now. I would argue that's what the 49ers have in Steve Wilkes, but um, some interesting calls here late in this game. I'm kind of jumping all around in my head. The Chiefs, absolutely a dynasty right now, though, uh, after this game. How many Super Bowls will Patrick Mahomes win? Um, We'll see. I put the over-under at five and a half Like could he could he match brady if he really goes off down the stretch get another get another four super bowls end up with seven sure that would be cool ultimately though in my mind and you all already know how i feel about this if you've listened to the show for any length of time it doesn't matter what mahomes does for the rest of his career He's the greatest quarterback of all time, in my opinion. There's no question, not a single even hesitation in my mind. Resume-wise, he's still got a long way to go to catch up to Brady. But the dude dissects a defense like Brady, um, is at clutch as hell like Brady. I mean, the last two drives of this game for Patrick Mahomes were absolute money. That's why he is the best player in the entire league. Probably the best player in, in league history at this point. Clutch as hell, just like Brady is. Does everything that Brady does, except for he's a better athlete, is more mobile, is a threat with his legs, is already number one in Super Bowl history for rushing yards for a quarterback by about a mile at this point. I mean, like I said, does everything that Brady does, except for he's a better athlete with a better arm, there's no real debate if you're talking about, uh, caliber of player here, and what that player can do. It's not. This isn't like an Aaron Rodgers situation where he'll put up fantastic numbers in the regular season, does everything athletically, accuracy wise, arm strength wise that you could ever want, but gets into the postseason and kind of you know pisses down his leg a little bit like that. No, no disrespect to Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, first ballot Hall of Famer, all that good stuff. But that's not what this is with Patrick Mahomes. You could say that Aaron Rodgers was maybe the greatest quote-unquote ball thrower of all time. Patrick Mahomes is a better ball thrower than Aaron Rodgers um, and does not have any drop-off in the postseason. In fact, elevates his play in the postseason. Um, Again, You know, the train is starting to fill up, slowly but surely, especially after this game. I saw a few newcomers come on hey, how you doing? I'm just sitting here reading the newspaper because I've already been on this greatest of all time train for a while. But hey, like I've said before, you may not agree with me now. Give it about a decade or so, you will be on my side in no time. I... I just got to the train early to get the best seat in the house. I'm up here in first class, first come, first serve sort of thing. We're, we're doing a, we're doing a Southwest Airlines sort of setup, except for there is actually a first class. So I was one of the first people to show up. I'm in first class. I got drink service, meal service, all that sort of stuff on the train. You might not get that if you show up late. It, I mean, it is, it is what it is there, but you know, I'm just sitting here. I'm I'm waiting. This train will be full eventually. So, I mean, hop on while you can. Um, eventually, you will all be on this train with me. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. He is Jordan. I mean, that's... It's, it's an apt comparison. I think the first person I heard use the comparison was Bomani Jones, so credit to him there. That is exactly what Patrick Mahomes is. He is going to piss in the Cheerios of seemingly Kyle Shanahan, seemingly the Buffalo Bills, um, seemingly the, the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. And all these other great teams with really great players and great quarterbacks have to go through Jordan, unfortunately, uh, like the Detroit Pistons did at the beginning of Jordan's career, like Charles Barkley did later in Jordan's career, all the all the teams, the Utah Jazz, all those teams that. Thought you know could have won a a uh, a title in an earlier era. Unfortunately, they were playing at the same time as Jordan, so they didn't win uh, a, a whole bevy of titles. Unfortunately, uh, that's that's where we're at right now with these Kansas City Chiefs. Is what Tom Brady did for a lot of years. I think for the next. Yeah, twelve to fifteen years, I would say. We'll, we'll see what we'll see how long Patrick Mahomes wants to play in the NFL. But with the with the new rules, and I would imagine they're only going to get softer from here for uh, for quarterbacks. He can probably play into his early to mid forties, I would say. So twelve to fifteen years. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to put together a resume that is unassailable. I think he's going to break all of Brady's records. Really, the only thing that he's going to be chasing from here is the playoff records, because the regular season records are going to be annihilated, absolutely destroyed by what Patrick Mahomes does throughout the course of his career. So, yeah, for the next decade plus, that's going to be the story. People are going to debate it because you need uh, television. To me, all i got to say is there's still room on the train now, guys. If you want to hop on go right ahead. Patriots fans will literally never do it. I understand that. You got to ride for your guy. Everyone else, you have the opportunity to hop on now. There's still plenty of good seats available. Just because you're not in first class anymore like me doesn't mean there aren't some good business class seats available where you still get some good amenities. There's more people around you, sure, but there's still good seats available. Don't be stuck in seven to ten years sitting in coach on this train. No one wants that. No no one wants that for, for this long uh, metaphorical train ride we're going on here. Just come on in now. Get your seat in business class because that's this is what it is. Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. With that said, though, I mean, his defense is the one that won this game. I mean, Chris Jones, I – I understand that his asking price in free agency is about to be astronomical. I I do very much understand that. He's a free agent after this year, and he's going to command top of the top dollar. He's probably going to be getting Nick Boza money in free agency, if I had to guess, Uh if not a little bit over that, because he is that caliber of player. For my money, I don't... Him and Aaron Donald, the two best defensive tackles in the entire league, um, well, I don't, I don't know who the third would be. I'm not sure there really is a close third in the league right now after those two. And you can put one, one A, whatever you want to put on both of them. Chris Jones is that damn special. Um, the Chiefs need to throw every last cent they have at trying to keep Chris Jones right now. Um It's one thing to let Tyreek Hill go when you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes in there, and you can kind of, you know, work around. We saw it last season um, with a slightly better receiving core than what they had this past year in 2023. In 2022, the Chiefs absolutely lit teams on fire offensively. They were still really, really good uh, without what you could really could... yeah, easy for me to say without what you could really consider a, uh, a top flight, number one wide receiver. Uh, they just had like an okay sort of group that Patrick Mahomes was able to just slice and dice people over and over again. Then you add Isaiah Pacheco into that mix and you have that physical element to kind of close teams out when you need him. And um, it, it was, it was beautiful this year. Even worse. So they'll probably go hard in the draft. I would imagine with uh, with with receivers probably going to completely overhaul that receiving core. You don't have that luxury, though, on the defensive side of the ball to just be like, hey, we've got one guy that we're building around. Chris Jones should be the guy that you're building around on that side of the ball. I don't know what the cap situation is going to look like. Otherwise, I I'm not sure what Legereus needs contract situation is. I think you still got him locked up for another couple of years. Uh, Trent McDuffie, you still got him salary controlled for I believe another season. Uh, you've got to pay Chris Jones a mountain of money to stick around because he is what makes that defense. So damn special. I mean, don't get me wrong. They have really good players all throughout that team. Uh, Bolton and Gay are one of the more underrated uh, linebacker duos in the entire NFL. They got depth behind those two as well. George Karloftis is playing really, really well. Charles Amenahu, um, RIP his ACL, but he played really, really solid this season. Probably going to have to wait to get him back until probably mid-next year, if I had to guess, just based on the timing of tearing that ACL in the AFC Championship game. But um, really, Chris Jones is the one guy you can say, I mean, I guess, you know, having Snead and McDuffie definitely helps. But on that front seven, having a guy like Chris Jones that can be a one-man pass rush, essentially, um, makes everyone's job that much easier. And I mean, they do have great players across the board. They don't have another guy like Chris Jones on the team. Legi- like I said, Legereus Sneed's probably the the closest thing they've got to it. Like a legit shutdown corner is what Legereus Sneed is. He still ain't in that same uh, breath as Chris Jones right now. You have got to throw a bag at Chris Jones to keep him. If you want to keep this thing going, the best way to do it is uh, throw a bag at at uh, Chris Jones. And I understand you got needs at tackle. You got needs at wide receiver sometimes you just got to you got to pay the guys that need to be paid and then work around that because I think if you got both of those anchors on both sides of the field the Chiefs will be right back here uh next year if I if I had to guess also pay that man his money Mississippi State grad just like your boy pays that man his money as they say uh, so that's that's pretty much it for the Chiefs. Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are in love. What else is new? They had a had a nice you know a warm embrace after the game. Taylor Swift just had a rotating cast of like a bunch of just pop stars that you know in in her uh, in her suite. Started off with Lana Del Rey next to her, uh, had Ice Spice next to her the entire game. Had just a, again a rotating cast of of women in the pop culture world that you've heard of. Um, Jay-Z had uh, Jack Dorsey in his suite. Random. Don't know why Jack Dorsey was there, but he's, you know, one of those Illuminati meetup things. He's wearing a a Bitcoin shirt and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. Let's talk about the 49ers, though, man. That's that's the painful part of this whole thing because, and I, I didn't even mention before this, I mean, Harrison Butker, he set the... He ultimately set the the longest field goal record in in Super Bowl history. He had a 57 yarder uh, on a line drive too. I mean, it was a it was a it was a terrible snap. I mean, it was like back behind the head of Tommy Towns the holder. What a job by Tommy Towns to not only catch that ball but to put it down for uh, Butker to hit that from 57 to far from perfect operation, Townsend needs to be given all the credit in the world, the fact that he got that ball down, and Bucker, I mean, it wasn't pretty, but when you got an absolute howitzer attached to your hip like Bucker does, I mean, you can, it can be a little bit imperfect, and you can still make it by five to seven yards, which is what he did at 57. It's insane how much leg power that that guy has. Um, before that, though, Jake Moody set the record at 55, and then later in the game, he hit a 52-yarder. Only thing anyone's going to remember, though, is that for whatever reason, be I think the protection kind of faltered a little bit uh, there at the end. Four, 49ers get a late go-ahead touchdown and the Kansas City Chiefs block the extra point to keep it a three-point game instead of a four-point game. That ultimately allowed uh, the Chiefs to go down. Well, obviously Patrick Mahomes drives right down the field, gets him in position with like six seconds left. Butker hits the game-tying field goal. We go to overtime. Um, if Moody makes that, uh, if Moody makes that that extra point. There's a real chance that this game doesn't go to overtime and the 49ers are the Super Bowl champions. Just a real swinging doors moment, a brutal moment for Jake Moody that is going to hang in his brain uh, while he is sipping Mai Tais and Cabo. Uh, I, shout out to you, man. Kicker's is one of the toughest jobs in, in all of sports. That's just absolutely brutal. Then the 49ers get to overtime, and truthfully, I didn't know exactly what the new overtime rules were in the playoffs. Apparently, it's just like, it, essentially, it's it's college overtime, except for you have, you know, they still do punts and kickoffs and all that sort of stuff. Like, even if the 49ers scored a touchdown on that initial drive, um, the, the Chiefs would still have a chance at rebuttal. So, I didn't know that at the time apparently neither did a lot of the 49ers. Also, the 49ers, in that situation, with what I just laid out there, you want to get the ball second. and That's kind of what the strategy has been in college. You want to get the ball second um, to where, okay, the Chiefs have gone down. They've either not scored any points or they scored a field goal or a touchdown, whatever it happens to be. Um, you go in there and you know exactly what you need on the ensuing drive. The 49ers decide to receive the kickoff and just go down there Um Not really a whole lot of benefit. I think just kind of projecting down the road, Kyle Shanahan said that, Hey, if the, if the Chiefs go down there, we'll trust our defense to, to hold them to a field goal or something like that. And then we'll have the opportunity to end on the ensuing possession. I don't, I don't love that. That seems like a little bit of a blunder from Kyle Shanahan, but. That's pretty much the only blunders that he made all day, quite frankly. There was a little bit of weird clock management at the end of the half where he probably should have taken some timeouts to give his um, give his team the ball back late in the first half, something like that. Um, didn't end up happening, though. Ultimately, I mean... Credit to the 49ers' defense, man. They really played their ass off. They dominated the first half. I mean, absolutely dominated the first half. Up until that last little bit where the Chiefs drive down and they get a field goal, I mean, the pass rush was as disciplined as you've seen anyone play against the Chiefs all-playoffs. I mean, they were—I mean, one of the only good things that Tony Romo pointed out last night— not a huge fan of that guy as an announcer but I digress on that front one of the one of the good things that he did point out though last night was how disciplined the Chiefs were not the Chiefs were the uh, the 49ers were in their rush lanes like they they weren't just crashing inside letting Mahomes get outside the pocket and and you know take some shots downfield they were staying disciplined they knew that they probably weren't gonna get the Mahomes in a lot of the situations just because he's, he's so good at extending plays but getting pressure on him, making sure there's a guy in the face when he rolls out of the pocket like he did several times, and there was like a Nick Boza was in his face. Uh, Chase Young played a really solid game last night, all things considered. Um, probably not going to be back with the 49ers next year, but played a really solid game last night. Really, that, that front seven played great. Fred Warner played out of his mind. That sucks with Dre Greenlaw. I mean, it's like, it, it would be one thing. If you go down, if you're playing in the game, if it's something like, okay, it's a violent sport, things happen, but just based, just getting yourself hyped up on the sideline, going to run on the field after a kickoff, and you pop your Achilles, boy, that has got to be the worst way to get injured in a Super Bowl of all time. And with the timing of that Achilles injury, too, there's a real chance that, I mean, they might not have Dre Greenlaw for a really extended period of time uh, going into next season. And when he comes back, there's no, I mean, there's no guarantee that Dre Greenlaw comes back and is the same player after an Achilles. It's a real hit and miss proposition like that. I mean, just brutal, brutal injury. But even without Greenlaw in there, the 49ers played their asses off on the defensive side of the ball all game. I mean, the, the secondary it's been a little bit porous at times played really really well they held uh, Travis Kelsey i mean basically to nothing in the first half at one catch for one yard uh got a little bit going there in the in the second half but really even even with that said i mean yeah they they scored a lot in the second half really I, okay they dominated in the first half, right? They absolutely made the Chiefs look out of sorts. The second half, Patrick Mahomes with Patrick Mahomes. He got that thing going. Uh, there were mistakes all over the place. I mean, fumbles, uh, muffed kicks by both teams, really. I mean, there was a really bad, um, a really, really bad fumble by Isaiah Pacheco uh, early in the third. It was either the third or the fourth quarter. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Uh, but, yeah, there were just... Far from uh, far from a mistake-free game, I'll I'll just put it that way. I mean, to, like, let's just look at the fumble chart here, because that's that's where the main things were happening. I mean, Patrick Mahomes did throw one interception. That was just a just a bad play by Patrick Mahomes. Sometimes you'll have those when he throw forty-six times. You got constant pressure in your face. Throwing one interception is understandable. Uh, but I mean, the Kansas City Chiefs fumbled the ball five times. Five times they fumbled the ball in this game. Somehow only gave up the one. That was I, Isaiah Pacheco. I uh, got one punched out in the first half. Um, and then ultimately that 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 one fumble in the second half, that was a bad toss by Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know, Pacheco did fall on that one. So he was able to, uh, you know, salvage the possession there uh, for the most part. But, I mean, another two, two fumbles for the... Uh, uh, for the San Francisco 49ers, one of them happening on the uh on, on the punch from Tommy Townsend. It hit a guy's foot, and then ultimately that led directly to a Kansas City Chiefs touchdown on the next play. And then Christian McCaffrey early on in the game got a fumble as well. Um so yeah, it was it's it's a hit and miss proposition. Ended up two to two in the uh in the turnover statistics, so it didn't end up, you know, shooting anyone in the foot. I think more than anything points off turnovers is what you need to look at and the 49ers I mean gave up a touchdown off of uh their most crucial turnover that that muffed punt so yeah I guess it kind of went in the Chiefs favor on that one that was one big mistake or really a, a couple big mistakes there um but yeah I mean that defense played very well for for much of this game for the San Francisco 49ers um I just thought the offense looked out of sorts in the first half. Um not from like a yardage perspective. Like they were getting good chunk plays, but there would just be these weird mistakes where they'd shoot themselves in the foot, they get behind the sticks, and then all of a sudden you're punting on a on a promising drive, you're turning the ball over, something like that. Uh, I mean, credit to, hey, Jawan Jennings got that touchdown pass and a touchdown reception, one of two players to do, the other one being Nick Foles with the Philly Special back when they won their Super Bowl. Um, but it, So, I mean, you had some creativity there from Kyle Shanahan. He wasn't backing down. He was going four on fourth down when, you know, sometimes you would think that he wouldn't go four on fourth down. They just couldn't get anything going on the offensive side of the ball from a running perspective, like three and a half yards per carry on the day, um, 3.6 yards per carry for Christian McCaffrey in this game. Absolutely diced him up in the passing game. He had 80 yards receiving to go with 80 yards rushing. He had 160 total yards from scrimmage on the day. So he had a good game, but on the ground, which is the bread and butter for the San Francisco 49ers and where I kind of thought the game would be won and lost. Didn't really end up working out that way just because both teams play the run so well but they didn't have that that you know dynamic running threat at at quarterback uh like Patrick Mahomes proved to be down the stretch um to kind of you know make the difference as far as the rushing stats were concerned so really overall just a not a great rushing performance from the San Francisco 49ers which just made everything else harder quite frankly and it's it's hard to recover from that even with that said though they Drove right down the field in overtime and got the got the, the go-ahead field goal. Drove right down the field at the end of regulation and got a touchdown there to go ahead. They did everything in their power to go out and win this game. Uh, put on a hell of a performance. Maybe should have, quote-unquote, deserved to win, but deserved doesn't count for shit uh, in any real competition. It's, you know, who ends up with the, with the larger final score. And, I mean... What can I say? You just ran into Jordan. And this is uh, this is the theme of Kyle Shanahan's career, whether it be Tom Brady with the Atlanta Falcons, whether it be Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs. He just keeps running into goats in the Super Bowl. And you just got to feel for the guy. You, you've got to feel for the guy to a, a great extent. So with that said, where do the San Francisco 49ers go from here? How do they improve this roster? The good news is, you still got one more year before you have to pay Brock Purdy. By default, he's a second-year player, he's going into his third year. After his third year, he will be eligible for an extension and he's going to get 50 million dollars a year. That's just the going rate for a quarterback that has played as well as Brock Purdy has in this offense. Um but in the meantime, you got one more year with Brock Purdy very salary controlled. You've got to push all of your chips into the center of the table this year if you're the if you're the San Francisco 49ers. You have to go absolutely all in. You have to re-sign everyone that you can this offseason. Ayuk's going to be a free agent, so that's going to be a big contract, but you're going to have to sign that one. Uh, You've got to make sure you get everyone back in the building that you can get back in the building. Having Talano Hufanga back is going to be big for him next year coming off of that ACL. Um, kind of change the defense when, when he went out. He's a real X-factor for him on that side of the ball. But from a free agency and draft perspective, I I think it's time. I mean, the San Francisco 49ers have gotten by for a, a little while now with just kind of building the line around Trent Williams and just figuring out at all the other spots. I mean, they're solid, they're solid players along that line. Don't get me wrong, but Trent Williams is the straw that stirs the drink. And without Trent Williams in there, obviously, all pro future Hall of Fame left tackle. Understandable. Your line's not going to be the same, but I think the 49ers, I don't know, I haven't looked at all at the at the free agency class coming in. Um, they have to spend money on that interior offensive line because I think, I think if the 49ers were able to impose their will on the Kansas City Chiefs, I think the 49ers win this thing and I think they win it comfortably, especially with how the first half went, the way that defense dominated. If they had a running game to speak of, they would have been up by double digits, you know, 14, 17 points at halftime. To me, and I think this is what a lot of the smart football people are saying, is you have to push all of your chips into the center of the table and go hard on the offensive line. I mean, spend big on high-level free agents in the interior, on the right side of the line, really everywhere except for Trent Williams, I think you need to be looking at upgrading because that is the one thing that can put you over the top next year. You invest heavily in that offensive line – I think the San Francisco 49ers could walk to a championship uh, the next year. Walk being, you know, kind of not totally what it would be. It wouldn't be easy. It never is easy at the end of the day. But as far as uh, something that would separate them and make them a better team next year, go hard on the offensive line. And free agency in the draft, all of it. Go as hard as you possibly can on that offensive line add in some good players where you see fit. But that is, for my money, the weakest part of this team is that offensive line right now. Outside of Trent Williams, offensive line is the only real question mark. You need to answer that question mark this offseason uh, because in 2025, you simply won't be able to. It's it's going to be your window will not be closed. It will have closed substantially, though. The, the window's all the way open right now going into this offseason, right? after you sign Brock Purdy that massive extension that's gonna be cap prohibitive um that that window closes by 75 to 85 percent openness like you, you've still got an opportunity with Kyle Shanahan there with the defense they built they put put a good roster together so you're gonna have opportunities. You're not going to have the opportunity to spend on the depth that you will this year. You're going to have to skimp on some positions once you pay Brock Purdy all of that money. Next year is the year. If you don't win a championship next year, frankly, I'm not sure the San Francisco 49ers ever will under uh, under this current construction. You have to strike while the iron is hot and go all-in this offseason. I mean all-in in in every conceivable way to build an elite offensive line. It's it's good now. It's passable even now. You have to build an elite top-10, top-5 unit Next season um, to really compete, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how the 49ers uh, address that. Cause I think they, I think they realize that as much as uh, uh, the rest of the smart people in the NFL media do. So interested to see how they address that. Obviously, Chiefs get yourself a receiving core. You got the goat. You're, you're going to be right back in this uh, this situation next year. AFC is tough, so there's no guarantee they get back to the Super Bowl. Obviously, but they'll they'll be the favorites they'll be the favorites make no mistake about it they'll add another couple of receivers in the in the draft maybe pick up some middling free agents in free agency to kind of upgrade where they can completely purge everyone uh that they have right now essentially outside of rasheed rice and travis kelsey and um my guess is they're gonna have a better offense next year with a comparable defense pay chris jones his money pay chris jones his money that's all i gotta say about that with that said though oh also by the way I'll tell you what, Patrick Mahomes, I believe, was the uh, the first quarterback uh, to ever win a Super Bowl while having the highest cap hit in the entire league, so there you go. Fun fact, stats! Stats are fun. Stats are fun, folks. Uh, outside of that, I believe that pretty much does it for Super Bowl 58, uh, Las Vegas, hope to see you soon I'm not I'm probably not going there anytime soon but you know hopefully there's another Super Bowl there at some point seemed like a good time and uh, with that yeah we're uh we're, we're done with football season man that's it stick a cork in her she's done um almost turned out to be an absolute genius with my uh, with my my early prediction of the 49ers winning the Super Bowl got the Super Bowl uh, matchup right though so yeah um and uh yeah next next week we're gonna be uh we're gonna be looking at the uh the way too early predictions from back in may of 2023 it's time it's time i need some filler episodes before the uh before the combine starts here in in two weeks uh so yeah it's gonna be a good one next week we're looking at the uh the way too early predictions revisited that should be fun i'm i'm dumb i'll tell you i took a little, little little quick look see a couple weeks ago and boy boy am I stupid it's gonna be fun to look back at though with that said uh, let's get into some headlines see if anything dropped while I've been talking um yeah Mississippi America uh, yeah whatever um yep looks like everything's cool everything's kosher excuse me just had to sniffle right there right quick all right so with that said let's get into some headlines let's get a quick sip of this beautiful elixir that gives me energy i have to get up an hour earlier tomorrow that should be should be good times good times caffeine at seven thirty, and probably even more after i'm done with this it's fine doing good doing good who needs sleep Anyways, headlines. Let's just go down the list here. Uh, First and foremost, the Chargers named Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator. Obviously, Greg Roman was the offensive coordinator under Jim Harbaugh whenever he was with the 49ers. And Colin Kaepernick had his breakout season. And you know, every stop after that. I can't remember where he was before he went to Baltimore, but that's kind of uh, the mold of quarterback that he's kind of thrived with, uh, a guy that you can build a running game around like Colin Kaepernick, Lamar Jackson. I imagine that's going to be uh, the goal set out for Justin Herbert. Um, I'm just I'm going to be blunt on this one. I don't think this is a good hire. I honestly I think this is um, about as uninspired as you can get for the uh, the offensive coordinator position here for uh, the Chargers. I thought they'd maybe go outside the box, you know, look for someone that, that you know builds up a good running game, all that sort of stuff, but can kind of mix in some modern passing concepts. They they they're not getting that with Greg Roman, flat out. I mean, the reason why he's not the the, the Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator right now is because his passing game was so rudimentary. Basically, and I've described it this way before, but it's worth reiterating again. Greg Roman kind of runs. Um, how do I? How did I put this before? As far as like what a QB can run, this is like uh, putting the quarterback in in an undergraduate program, if you will, like. Sure, you're going to have some challenging stuff, but you're going to learn. You're going to, you know, use your legs to kind of make some stuff easier. The passing concepts are going to be easy to to read and kind of go through and all that. Nothing's going to be too complex. Eventually, the quarterback just grows out of that. That's what Lamar Jackson did. That's why they brought in Todd Munkin, because Todd Munkin... Has those dynamic passing concepts that you could build an offense around. You see, you see what the the Ravens did this year. Lamar Jackson won the MVP in the first year under Todd Munkin. Only thing really being changed is they added a couple receivers and they bring in a new offensive coordinator. And, and what do you know? The offense is elite after struggling uh, for the last couple years. That um, a lot of that has to fall on the shoulders of Greg Roman. And frankly. Like, I understand. I, like, I would have understand it if, like, hey, the the Bears were sticking with Justin Fields. He's much more of a runner than he is a passer. He can get you some good plays in the passing game every now and again. But dynamic runner is what his strength is as a football player. That I would have understood if you put, like, a Justin Fields paired him with Greg Roman. I think that would have been a beautiful match. Uh, a match made in heaven, even. Uh, but, um... I don't know. Putting a guy like Greg Roman with one of the most elite arms, uh, one of the best passers in the entire league in Justin Herbert, I mean, flat out, it's a waste of talent. It's a waste of Herbert's talent to put him in Greg Roman's offense. And I get it. I mean, Justin Herbert can run. He's probably going to be getting a lot more reps in, in running this upcoming year than he has before just because of bringing Greg Roman in. Uh, I assume the running game is going to be playing pretty well, probably going to have to end up drafting somebody and rebuilding that offensive line, but obviously Greg Greg Roman and Jim Harbaugh want to build a physical football team built around defense and running game, it's the, it's the bread and butter that's made Jim Harbaugh successful everywhere he has gone, it's a formula that frankly still wins games at every single level, so I understand doing that. But having a guy like Justin Herbert with the way that he can sling the pill in a rudimentary pass offense that has been – I mean, basically what Lamar Jackson was saying with Greg Roman as his offensive coordinator was that defenses already knew what the routes were going to be before the ball was even snapped pretty much, like just based on how the Ravens were lining up with Greg Roman at offensive coordinator. Um, Maybe you'll see Justin Herbert kind of – compensate for that a little bit with his arm and his brilliance and all of that but I don't I don't know about this man. I would have loved to see someone from the Shanahan tree that can draw up a running game but is also uh very dynamic at drawing up a passing game as well. Um I I don't I don't like this at all. I don't I don't like this at all for Justin Herbert. It, it feels like a waste of Justin Herbert's talent to put him in in Greg Roman's offense. Um we'll we'll see how it works out. Do I think it'll do exactly what Jim Harbaugh wants? Sure. Do I think it'll be maximizing what they have in uh, in Justin Herbert? I do not. And hey, maybe I'm the dumb one here because really outside of Keenan and Allen, they don't have um, a consistent weapon you can rely on. Mike Williams, sure, but how long is Mike Williams going to be there before his knees spontaneously combust again? Who's to say? We'll see. All the, you know, knock on wood. All, all peace, love, and prosperity to Mike Williams. I just can't, uh, I, I can't really just count on him being there late in the season when you need him to be come the playoff time. So basically, it's just Keenan Allen uh, out there. So I understand why you would lean into a running game. I just feel like there were, I feel like there were better, better candidates out there. Hell, you could have delved down into the college ranks and got someone because the, the lifestyle is so unsustainable with the lack of structure with nil the the state of flux that college football's in you saw it happen multiple times hell i would have been okay with them bringing in chip kelly quite frankly i mean he was been he was pining for for offensive coordinator jobs we'll talk about him taking one here not even at the nfl level here in just a second i feel like chip kelly was there for the taking i would like that more than greg roman quite frankly i just yeah i don't know We'll we'll see we'll see how it works out i am less than optimistic about the uh the move though um and Jim Harbaugh is a good coach though so we'll we'll see how it all works out. Um next up Mike Zimmer will be the new defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. That just became official today. They agreed to terms. I believe Zimmer has signed the deal and um yeah, so new new defensive coordinator there in Dallas and I, hey it, Like I was talking about before, Mike Zimmer is past that point where he's going to get another head coaching opportunity at the NFL level, so that's a guy you bring in, he calls your defense, and you just worry about the offensive side of the ball, especially with Mike McCarthy calling plays. Having a guy like you had Dan Quinn last year that you could trust to do that, bringing in Mike Zimmer this time around, exactly what you want, and obviously... I love Mike Zimmer. He was the head coach of my beloved Minnesota Vikings for a long, long time. So just putting my bias out there, I am a little biased. However, I think they may have upgraded over Dan Quinn, quite frankly. I I love this hire for the, for the Dallas Cowboys. I hate that it's the Cowboys that did it. I mean, fuck the Cowboys. I mean, w- what else is new? But bringing in a guy like Mike Zimmer, I think you're just going to see a higher level of Complexity of scheme than what you saw under Dan Campbell. Dan Dan Campbell is the type, not Dan Campbell, Dan Quinn is the type of guy that, okay, you give him really good players, he's just going to make it simple enough to where the great players are just going to be able to use their instincts and just go out of their mind. That's what you saw throughout the course of this season. Who's to say what would have happened if Trevon Diggs would have been in there? Maybe the Cowboys go deeper in the playoffs. The whole tenor of that defense changed when Trevon Diggs went out, unfortunately. So we'll never know. But it's just different with Mike Zimmerman. I mean, you might see some hiccups to start the year just because that scheme is is so complex. It takes some growing into, kind of like Vic Fangio there with the Dolphins this past season. But at the end of the year, I am willing to bet that the Cowboys defense is going to be playing better next year down, down the stretch than what they did in this past year down the stretch. Uh, regardless of injuries. I just, I really believe in this hire. I think Mike Zimmer is going to do a damn good job with the Dallas Cowboys as, as a defensive play caller. And uh, you know what? I'm rooting for him. I have no ill will to, to, to Mike Zimmer. I think, um, I mean, maybe I was holding on to the past times, but whenever they cleaned house over there with, with uh, Zimmer and Spielman, I was of the mind that, Hey, get rid of Spielman, but keep Zimmer around. He's a really good head coach, all that sort of stuff. So I, I love Mike Zimmer. There is no uh, no ill will to Mike Zimmer uh, as far as I'm concerned. Just wish he wasn't on the Cowboys right now, but I think the Cowboys got a good one in Mike Zimmer, man. I really, really love that hire. All right. So up next, uh, after a cup of coffee at Ohio State, a head coaching opening was available at Boston College after Jeff Hafley decided to take the defensive coordinator job with the Green Bay Packers reference lifestyle of the NCAA versus lifestyle of the NFL, yada, yada, yada. Moral of the story is there was a job opening as head coach at Boston College, and that job opening has been filled by the man, the myth, the legend, Butchin Bill O'Brien. He will be the next head coach of Boston College. I think this could be a really solid hire, man, and I've kind of I've cooled on it a little bit, but I do still think there's a real chance that Bill O'Brien steps into a college job and, you know, he's a, obviously a micromanager, ended up with every job under the sun at the end of the, the, the day with the Houston Texans, um, really a control freak, if you will. The types of things that don't work at the NFL level that Bill O'Brien has as a, as a leader Work wonders at the college level, my friends. Wonders, I say. And who's to say how he navigates this new NIL landscape with transfer portal and all that sort of stuff? But I think there's a chance that Bill O'Brien could be a star college football head coach. I think he could do really, really well uh, just in general. The one year he had at Penn State, he was very, very good at, at that one year before he went over to take the Houston Texans job. And as a play caller, up and down, not the greatest play caller in the world. I think he, all the success you saw with Bama was a lot of Bryce Young and that receiving core and all the talent that they had, kind of just being insanely talented and less on the scheme that Bill O'Brien put out there. I do think, though, if he can put together a staff, I think he can really build a program. I really, really like this hire by Boston College. Um and uh, yeah, I don't I don't know how it's gonna go there. Kind of fighting an uphill battle being at Boston College, getting your your I mean probably half your roster turnover every year by the transfer portal. Hopefully there'll be some curbs on that here uh, in the coming years. But I just I really like I really like Bill O'Brien as a uh, college football head coach. I think this will not be the last job that Bill O'Brien has. I think he's gonna do very well at Boston College, and then move up from there. And uh, I'm really excited to see how he does at Boston College, man. I think if, if for no other reason than selfish reasons of hoping that my take is right, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how this goes with Boston College. He hasn't really filled out his staff yet, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but he could uh, he could really uh, make some waves over there. I think he already hired a pretty solid strength and conditioning coach, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but uh, yeah, just one to keep an eye on. Maybe uh, maybe not dark horse this year. But just watch over the next couple of years how Bill O'Brien builds that program. I think he could really, really uh, uh, make some waves there in the ACC for however long the ACC is still a thing. So, with that, but Jim Bill O'Brien is no longer the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Um, And Chip Kelly really didn't want to be at UCLA and, I mean, interview with the commanders, interview with the Las Vegas Raiders, just give me an offensive coordinator position so I can get the hell out of UCLA because they don't really want me anyways. Ryan Day said, hey, I'm looking for a play caller. How would you like to be the next offensive coordinator at of Ohio State. And he was like, please, God, get me over to Columbus, Ohio, and out of Los Angeles, California. So Chip Kelly will be the new offensive coordinator for Ohio State upon uh, Butch and Bill O'Brien's exit. I uh, I honestly like this hire better than, than, than uh, Bill O'Brien. I think Bill O'Brien's offensive scheme is a little bit shaky, it didn't work out well. The last couple of stops uh, from a from a schematic a schematic standpoint, Chip Kelly still puts together a hell of an offense, man. He can scheme the hell out of a running game, um, passing game. He's been proven to be explosive. Really, up until this last season, he had good offenses basically every season that he was at UCLA. And um, I, I briefly alluded to it there. By the way, I understand why Chip Kelly left UCLA. There were rumblings. I mean in the middle of the season last year that, hey, Chip Kelly loses this game, I think it was against like USC, if he loses this game, they're going to fire Chip Kelly at UCLA. He's a He was aware of that. He was aware that UCLA was basically looking for any reason under the sun to get him out of there. And I think he's honestly tired of the current landscape of college football as a head coach. So I, I understand. Go to Ohio State. There's a chance that once things get a little bit more stabilized at the uh, the college level, you get more guardrails in place to kind of make it a bit more of a sustainable model. You can just slide right right back into being a head coach somewhere. Um, this is a really solid hire. I, I think better than than the Bill O'Brien hire. Uh, Chip Kelly, I think, is going to make that offense really really good. And um, that's a guy that you want to if you're gonna if you're gonna give away your play calling duties like Ryan Day is is going to do this upcoming year. Not a whole lot of better guys to give it to than than Chip Kelly at the college level, so I I really really like that hire at Ohio State. Once again, they went balls to the walls in the transfer portal. They got, they they got Caleb Downs, they got Quinshawn Judkins, basically everyone that was draft eligible uh, outside of you know Marvin Harrison Jr. <clears throat> came back. For their neck their their, I don't know if they're still in our last season or the next season. For the twenty twenty four season, they're going to be back. I mean, J T. Tuamaloa, Emeka Ibuka, uh, a lot of those types of guys. Tommy Eichenberg. I can just go on and on down the list if I knew the names, but unfortunately, I don't. But most of their key players outside of Marvin Harrison Jr. will be back. They got a new quarterback in there in Will Howard. Uh, they they flipped Julian Sayan from uh, Alabama, I believe. I, I'm pretty sure they flipped Julian Sayan from Alabama, uh, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So they got their quarterback of the future in the building. They are just sitting across the room staring daggers at the Georgia Bulldogs, and the Georgia Bulldogs are staring daggers right back at them. I think the story of next college football season is going to be that Ohio State and the University of Georgia are on a collision course uh, in the college football playoff. Um, surely there will be other teams that butt their way in there in the top four to six range. I think right now, as we look at it going into this upcoming year, those two, Ohio State and Georgia, are clearly the two best teams in all of college football. And I've already, I've already staked my, I've already staked my opinion out there that I think Georgia is going to win the national title next year. Um, With Carson Beck, Carson Beck's going to be that number one overall pick, I believe. Ohio State is just as formidable. They have a better backfield, quite frankly. Um, We'll see what happens, man. I am really looking forward to this next college football season. Just from from that storyline alone, I think it's going to be we're gonna have two like legitimately really solid to great teams that are on a collision course for each other and one good thing about the 12 team model is I think they're both gonna get in to the to the playoff with ease so we won't have a situation like last year where Georgia loses one game and is is out of the dance Florida State wins all their games and they're out of the dance good thing about having 12 teams won't have to worry about that anymore look at me looking at the bright side of the 12 team playoff it's a it's a new dawn it's a new day. Need to start looking for positives in my in my life of college football here. But uh with that, uh UCLA then has a job opening. A lot of dominoes falling here one by one. So UCLA is hiring Deshaun Foster, who is in the UCLA Hall of Fame as a player, uh played seven seasons in the league and has been an assistant at UCLA since twenty seventeen. So he's been there a long, long time, paid his dues, worked his way up the ranks, and again this late in the cycle when you're losing your head coach, I mean, it's February, man. Everyone else has filled their... I mean, Mississippi State fired their head coach at the end of the of the regular season. They hired their new guy in 2023. We're we're a month and a half into 2024 now, and you're looking for a new head coach, probably not going to find a whole lot better options. At, when you're UCLA, that is, you're probably not going to find a whole lot of better options outside of your program. So, Deshaun Foster probably the best that they could do uh all things considered have to see what the uh what the turnover on his roster is with transfer portal and all that I haven't heard a whole lot in that way but also might just be because there's not a whole lot of uh premium top end players on that UCLA uh roster that haven't already left so uh, it sounds like I'm just burying UCLA I mean I guess I kind of am I think they're in for a I think they're in for a rough first year in the Big 10. I'll just put it that way. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains going into the uh the the new conference there and uh good luck with your 20,000 miles of road game travels next year. Congratulations to the uh congratulations to the college football decision makers for just hitting a home run uh with everything they do. I digress on that front though. Good luck to Sean Foster. You got your hands full. Uh, NFL honors, uh, we got all of the awards down, so let's just go through them uh, Assistant coach of the year, that was G- uh, Jim Schwartz, almost said Jeff Schwartz that is a, uh, it's a, That's a football uh, reporter, I believe, um, or I don't know, podcaster reporter, I don't know He talks about the NFL, so not the right guy Jim Schwartz, the defensive coordinator for the Cleveland Browns That's kind of makes a lot of sense, understandable there. Basically took the exact same personnel from the year before, was a middling defense center, I believe it was Mike Pettin. I want to say. Jim Schwartz steps in, brings that swagger, brings that aggression, and what do you know, uh, they're statistically the best defense in the entire league give that guy the assistant coach of the year, understandable there. Uh, Coach of the year, Kevin Stefanski, that was going to be my pick. Um, I would have understood D'Amico Ryans uh, in this whole thing. I'm sure there were others out there. I feel like Kevin Stefanski, when you go through five quarterbacks and you still end up getting, I believe it was 10 or 11 wins on the year, Still are able to put together a solid enough offense to score points. you bring in Joe Flacco off the street, and it's just bombs over Baghdad every single time out there. You deserve Coach of the Year. Uh, Kevin Stefanski really did a hell of a job this year, so I love that. Offensive Rookie of the Year, say it with me, kids, C.J. Stroud. Duh, everyone knew that was going to happen. I uh, don't know if he was unanimous or not. Maybe Puka Nakua got a vote in there or something, but uh, yeah, the when a quarterback immediately steps in and is a top ten uh, quarterback in the league, um, yeah, he's going to be the rookie of the year. What, what are we even talking about here? What are we even talking about? A defensive rookie of the year. This was a really close vote. Um, Will Anderson got the win, but the final tally of the uh, of the first place votes was Will Anderson with sixteen and Jalen Carter with 15. I mean, it was just razor, razor-thin margin. But Will Anderson gets the nod. Um, there you there you have it. I mean, hey, having the offensive and defensive rookie of the year, if you're the Houston Texans, uh, that second trade-up to get Will Anderson, not looking too bad. Not looking too bad at all after it was all uh, said and done. Much maligned at the time but it just goes to show if you get an absolute star with that pick doesn't really matter how much you paid for him at the end of the day uh so yeah Texans again you're they're entering their window they got 2 years to just go all in and try to win a championship it this is going to be a pivotal offseason i think they're going to be giant ginormous spenders going into this offseason as they try to ramp up a a championship run here Uh, So there you have it there. Now we're getting into the big boy awards here. Offensive player of the year, Christian McCaffrey. He scored about a million touchdowns this year. Uh, Was the straw that stirred the drink for the the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Brock Purdy could not have done all the amazing things he did this year without Christian McCaffrey being the best running back in the NFL. So yes, obviously offensive player of the year, Christian McCaffrey. I get that one. Defensive player of the year. A little bit controversial. This was this was quite clearly a narrative-driven award on this one. Uh, Miles Garrett got the Defensive Player of the Year. He did not have better numbers than T.J. Watt in fewer games, mind you, by the way, um, or Micah Parsons for that matter. Uh, shout out uh, Jersey Jerry of Barstool for uh, pointing these things out. Which uh, when I'm getting my stats from Jersey Jerry, you know I'm at a, I'm at an all-time low on arguing these things, but I, I mean. These honors don't really matter at the end of the day, I suppose. Uh, But yeah, I mean, taking away Defensive Player of the Year from T.J. Watt. I think T.J. Watt just, I mean, based on numbers, impact, I think probably should have won. But he was on a worse defense than Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett was an absolute freak on the best defense in the entire league. So I get it. I understand why he won the award. Also had never won the Defensive Player of the Year award in spite of being one of the best defensive players in all the NFL. So I get it. He, he his time was there, he got his, MV, or his defensive player of the year all that sort of stuff, so kudos to him, probably would have given it to TJ Watt just based on all the numbers, all the impact and all that sort of stuff, but I understand, Miles Garrett is still deserving I I suppose of the award, so no, no real qualms there MVP, Lamar Jackson we all knew what that was going to be um, I did, numbers wise i mean it was there was no one that really jumped out and uh won the mvp this year it was really just like uh, lamar jackson had some good games late in the year and the voters were like ooh shiny let me let me just vote for that guy and i mean hey he's deserving of the people there yeah sure he was a, he was a deserving candidate for uh for mvp there was no unassailable like patrick mahomes like 45 touchdowns six interceptions sort of year Nothing like like one of those Aaron Rodgers seasons where he was clearly the, the, the MVP. I think we all kind of knew that uh, Lamar Jackson was going to win, but it wasn't really as emphatic as some of those past uh, ones, though. Uh, but, hey, two-time MVP winner, Lamar Jackson, just got to the AFC Championship game. Hopefully his offensive coordinator can learn how to run the ball, and hopefully Lamar Jackson can just say, fuck it, I'm running the ball going forward. That dude deserves to be in, in the Super Bowl at some point. Uh, at some point, we'll see what happens. And here comes the controversy. Uh comeback player of the year. Um not DeMar Hamlin. <laughs> not DeMar Hamlin, it was Joe Flacco. And um all right, it may not be a popular opinion. Uh I understand DeMar Hamlin literally came back from being dead on the football field. Get it? All Again, all health, wellness and prosperity to DeMar Hamlin. He's, you know, he's an he's an inspiration. Uh, the, I mean the Bill's training staff—an inspiration for saving a man's life and saving his his uh, prospective cognitive abilities going forward. I mean, hey, hats off to everyone involved there. It's a—it was truly a horrifying story that ended up being heartwarming at the end of things. Just you know, based on Bill's mafia raising money and all that sort of stuff. But you know, I'm gonna gonna put on my poopy pants here, unfortunately, and I'm gonna you know I'm just gonna gonna shit on some narratives here. For me, and this is just a me thing, if I'm giving out a comeback player of the year, I would prefer that player to play. I know it's a it's a novel concept, uh, giving an award to someone who plays well, uh, really just plays it all in a game, uh, on a frequent basis. Demar Hamlin. He he barely played it throughout the season. I mean, even when there were injuries on the back end, he was a rotational player uh, the entire year, pretty much. He didn't play well. He didn't play a whole lot. He had a lot of healthy scratches throughout the year. And I get it. He came back from being dead on the football field. That's incredible. That's awesome. There should be a separate recognition for DeMar Hamlin because that is truly incredible that he was able to, to come back from death uh, to still be a player in the National Football League. Um, Joe Flacco won the award because he came off the, he came off the street. No one wanted him for, I mean, half of the season, pretty much. He comes in and throws for like 320 yards a game, absolutely balls out. And hell, even Joe Flacco, I understand why he won it. Um, he played out of his mind on the stretch. I think probably Baker Mayfield should have won this thing. I don't think Damar Hamlin, they really should have just, I mean, did like a, a courage award, like the Arthur Ashe thing that the, that ESPN does. Like an award for courage for DeMar Hamlin uh, by the NFL would have made a lot of sense here. He should not have been in the comeback player of the year conversation. And I get it. You, you want to give him his flowers, and I want to give him his flowers too. He didn't deserve the comeback player of the year award, though, because he didn't play. He didn't hardly play this season. There are there are multiple guys that had a better uh, resume for comeback player of the year. Not that there's really any set criteria for it. It's just you know whatever happens to be beauty in the eye of the beholder on that one. But I just don't. I I, I didn't I didn't see Demar Hamlin winning that one. And I'm I'm not gonna say I'm glad he didn't. But I I think Joe Flacco is a more right choice for what the the spirit of the award is, uh, rather than Demar Hamlin in that situation. So. Again, all the be- all the best luck and prosperity to DeMar Hamlin throughout the rest of his career. I hope he turns into one of the best safeties in the entire league, quite frankly. And hey, if he goes from being a rotational player to being one of the best safeties in the entire league next year, guess what? You're right in line to win comeback player of the year. So that's something to look forward to. Just not a, not a fan of him uh, getting that one, if he did. So, yep, that's all I got to say on that. There's your NFL honors, uh, and you can shove them right up your ass. Anyways, uh, Nick Saban. Anyone anyone shocked about this? Anyone heard about this? Uh, he's joining game day, and I'm not sure literally anyone is surprised. I think the smarter people saw Nick Saban coming on Pat McAfee's show every week um, and thought, maybe he's setting up his uh his eventual transition into a uh, desk role there with college game day he's basically had an, an open invitation to be on college game day for i don't know past decade pretty much like there's a reason he's been doing commentary at national championship games when he's not coaching in them it's Uh, they've they've wanted nick saban there i think pretty much the offer just kind of said like hey whenever you're done coaching football if you want to just hop right on here on this desk we'll have you here in a heartbeat we'll we'll have you here in a second if if you want to be here and uh yeah i think this made uh, a lot of sense i think everyone kind of saw this coming it's a perfect retirement job uh for nick saban um even with the incredible amount of work that he will still probably put into this thing to make sure he puts out a good product every week on college game day, it'll still be a fraction of what he had to do at Alabama. So he's going to have all sorts of time to go out golfing. He'll probably make more money on on sitting on the game day desk. Um, he'll, I mean, have less work to do. I mean, this is just a beautiful way to ride off into the sunset if you're uh, if you're Nick Saban man so and I think he'd be really good at it I think he, he could be really good at it uh just this upcoming season so yeah no one's surprised but Nick Saban will be joining the college game day desk this upcoming season that should be fun not that I'll be watching it but who cares who cares um made brief allusion to this before when talking about uh Ryan Grubb but Ryan Grubb Um, officially makes the funniest move of all time. He will be the Seahawks offensive coordinator. And before I get to the merits of this hire, because I do really like this hire, I think this is going to be a really, really solid hire. And I think from this, Ryan Grubb is going to start getting head coaching looks here in the next couple of years at the NFL level, not the college level, at the NFL level, because I do think he's that good of a play caller. (laughs) Let's just take a step back here and... Look at the situation that just unfolded in front of our very eyes. So, a month ago, uh, Washington loses in the national championship. Ryan Grubb is the offensive coordinator there. Nick Saban retires shortly after the national championship. Um, Kalen DeBoer goes over to Alabama, brings Ryan Grubb with him. Like, all right, we have got ourselves an offensive stack. Kalen DeBoer put a... T- He put together the hell of a staff, quite frankly, on the defensive side of the ball, too. But we got our offensive coordinator. We got our offense in place. Now we're just going to roll with what we got. No more than a month later, after he's just gotten all of the boxes into his new house in Alabama, Mike McDonald gets the job with the Seattle Seahawks, calls up Ryan Grubb and was like, Hey, I know you just left Seattle, and I'm sure you're settling in quite nicely down there in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, But why don't you pack your shit back up and come right back to Seattle and be my offensive coordinator at the NFL level, which will be an easier job for you lifestyle-wise. And Ryan Grubb said, "Um, don't want to be here in Alabama. Want to go back to Seattle. I'm out of here. He goes back to Seattle. Literally, I mean, I wonder if they just turned the, the moving trucks around and said, go back to Seattle. We don't need to be here anymore. That's basically what happened. I mean, I hope he didn't sell his house in, in Seattle because he could just move right back into that thing and resume the life that he did have, except for being the Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator, instead of being, uh, the Washington offensive coordinator, like he was before just all-time hilarious circumstances with which, uh, under which to take that job. Uh, like I said, the, I think it's going to be a fantastic hire. Like with what the Seahawks have in place, I think you probably need to bolster up the uh, interior of the offensive line a little bit. But I mean, they got great receivers. Jackson Smith and Jigba really started coming on down the stretch of last season. Uh, Geno Smith, serviceable starting quarterback in the league. You're probably going to have a young guy in the building here in the next year or so, whether they draft J.J. McCarthy in the, in the middle rounds, whether they you know, bring in some guy developmentally in the later rounds, whether they you know do bad this upcoming year and they end up in, at the top of the draft and they have to draft a new quarterback in the next year. I think within the next two years, you're probably going to be getting a new quarterback in there. But Geno you know, Smith in the meantime is a hell of a QB. Really solid up uh, uh NFL starting quarterback. Uh you've got a dynamic group of backs back there between um, uh, Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Again, you improve the interior of that offensive line. You get a really creative play caller in Ryan Grubb in there who can coordinate the hell out of a running game, coordinate the hell out of a passing game, add in some subterfuge that maybe you didn't see so much in the Shane Waldron offense. No disrespect to Shane Waldron. I think the Bears made a really good hire there in Shane Waldron. But I just, especially with Mike McDonald taking over the defense, having a guy like Ryan Grubb to run your offense, I really like the Seahawks going into next year. I think they're a playoff caliber team if they make the right moves this offseason. And I... Again, I think Mike McDonald's going to get the most out of that defense. I think they're going to be at the very worst, like a middling unit next year. Couldn't end up, uh, you know, busting their way into the top ten, again, if they make the right uh, personnel moves on that side of the ball. And then offensively bringing Ryan Grubb in, I think they could be pushing top ten on that side of the ball, too. So I think, really, the Seahawks got some stuff going uh, as far as the staff that, that uh, Mike McDonald has put together. Love, love, love what they're doing there. And a, a great hire in, in Ryan Grubb, a, a great hire, I think. All right, so the final headline in the NFL, and it's kind of a doozy here. This is just a, a Super Bowl Sunday news dump. Eagles star pass rusher, Hassan Reddick, I believe he has one year left on his deal with the Eagles. He has been given permission to seek a trade from the Philadelphia Eagles, so he's not going to be back with Philadelphia, folks. There is not a not a chance in hell he's going to be back with Philadelphia. It's just a matter of, of where he goes because Hassan Reddick, boy, Really, I don't think he was even really like rushing the passer full time until he came over to the Eagles. Boy, he is a game changer. And if he goes to the right place on that one-year deal, I assume with that trade, there's going to be a bit of a contract negotiation that goes with it. So he'll sign his new deal. They'll trade him to the new destination. Whip, bam, boom, he'll be at his long-term destination, if I had to guess. Kind of like it was with uh, Montez Sweat with the Bears this past season. Um... Hassan Reddick is a possible championship piece, man. He is an elite pass rusher, double-digit sack getter every single year, elite speed, elite quickness off the edge. He's a guy that if you add to, say, the 49ers, you you plug him in where Chase Young is right now, you could have a legit Super Bowl-caliber defense right away, a legit Super Bowl-caliber pass rush right away. Obviously, you need more than one guy if you want to win in the NFL. I mean, even the Chiefs, I say, I, I say Chris Jones is a one-man pass rush, which he is, but he also had Carl Loftus there. Uh, Charles Zamenu, who made really good strides there. Uh, Fee, uh, Anadike Uzama. Felix Anadike Uzama played really well down the stretch of the year. Uh, you need uh, you need depth in your pass rush, uh, and just guys in general. You put him opposite of Nick Boza, boy, oh boy, that's a championship defense already. It probably already is a championship-caliber defense, not necessarily... Uh, the spot they need to attack, um, but it certainly wouldn't wouldn't hurt. And I think if you add him to a, a defense that is just looking for that one more piece to make a championship run, Hassan Redick fits in in a lot of places. And I think he's going to command top dollar. I'd be shocked if they didn't get a uh, a first round pick out of him uh, in this uh, in this deal just because he's going into the final year of his deal um they've got leverage to just say hey if you don't give us a package we want we'll just keep him on the roster and it would kind of hurt not getting any value out of him at the end of the day but uh man that they they could I think if they don't get a first round pick out of uh Hassan Reddick, I will be I will be shocked I think he's he's worth that type of haul he's worth that type of expenditure if you're looking to go all in this next year maybe maybe the Detroit Lions that's that's a spot right there. You put him opposite of Aiden Hutchinson and you are cooking with gas. I'm not sure if they're going to trade him. I'm not sure if they're going to trade him within the NFC. Maybe they go with the AFC or, or something like that. Certainly won't trade him within the division. That's not the type of player you trade within the division. Uh, although the, the Lions did trade TJ Hawkinson to the, to the, the, the Vikings. So anything is possible there. But Hassan Reddick, that's going to be one to watch, man. That is absolutely a possible championship piece that is going to be on the move. I would imagine he moves before the draft, if I had to guess. Uh, maybe even before free agency like officially opens, and that little little window where you know things can get done uh, before free agency opens, you might be seeing him move by then. But I think there's going to be a healthy market uh, for Hassan Reddick's services going forward. Boys. Boy, is that going to be a possible domino if he goes to the right spots all right so we're gonna end this off kind of been I think I'm gonna start putting a little bit of a fun headline at the end here and this is just kind of just hilarious I it's not not really a sport that I cover a whole lot it's baseball folks we're gonna be talking about a little bit of baseball here not really anything happening on the on the field uh, nothing about player movement or anything like that pitchers and catchers report and I believe like a week and a half or so crazy absolute craziness there uh, but the MLB has suspended Mets GM Billy Epler for the 2024 season for directing players to fake injuries. And I understand if you aren't huge baseball fans, you may not get this. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but I do get it just because uh, the Mets is the Mets. But this is maybe the most Mets story of all time. I mean, just, they are just... What's the, what's the thing I'm looking for? Murphy's Law? If Murphy's Law was a baseball team, it would be the New York Mets, man. They are just a, a laughing stock. I mean, they put together good rosters too. I mean, it's like they spent the most in free agency last offseason by about a mile, didn't make the playoffs, had a god awful team and ended up blowing the team up at, at the trade deadline. This year they get slapped, their GM gets slapped with a, a full season ban for directing players to fake injuries. I mean everything that went on with 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 Doc and, and Daryl Strawberry, all that sort of stuff. I mean the Mets are just a hilarious franchise, and yeah, this this is the most Mets story of all time. I love this. I, I absolutely love this, and I want to know what the conversations were like uh, between uh, Epler and the players. Was he just like going down like, hey? You feel a little cold tonight, don't you? Or you got a, got a little bit of an illness going on? Maybe, you're maybe I think your hamstring's kind of tight. Like Coach, no, nah, no, nah, I feel good tonight. No, nah, I think you got a, a little bit of hamstring tightness there. I think we're gonna we're gonna hold you out in this one. Uh so you, you got you got a hamstring. Just go up to the coach and say you got a little bit of hamstring tightness. You can't play tonight. Uh, and you, I think got a little bit of wrist pain there that's no I'm, I'm swinging fine coach no 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 you uh you got some wrist pain i can tell i can tell by the way you're swinging that bat you got a little bit of wrist pain we're gonna we're gonna sit you out tonight it's okay we're just gonna just gonna sit you out tonight but yeah wildness most met story of all time with that though uh, we're at about an hour twenty. Let's cut this thing off. Thank y'all for tuning into this week's episode of Unqualified Analysis. We're coming at you every single Tuesday now that the NFL is over. Uh hitting on whatever happens to fill up an hour and change, quite frankly. We're just we're flying by the seat of our pants at this time of year. Next seat, next season. <laughs> no. Next week, we will be talking about the uh, the bold predictions, way too early predictions, whatever the hell I called those damn things, uh, revisiting them from nine months ago. Our prediction baby has been born, and now we're going to look at what that ugly son of a bitch looks like. So that'll be fun for next week. Um, if you enjoyed, go ahead and subscribe wherever you're watching this. Uh, whether it be on youtube spotify apple amazon any of those sorts of things go on there hit the subscribe share with a friend to help me grow this thing a little bit um yeah follow me on twitter at caleb verzak uh link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked up eastern Bloc name i did the hard work for you uh go ahead if you want to if you want to com- Contact the show, contact me, go ahead, shoot me a DM on Twitter, Um, send me an email, unqualifiedanalysis at at gmail.com is the email address, that'll be in the description as well, and uh, yeah, it's pretty much it, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis as always. I've got no clue what I am talking about, but I'll tell you, one thing that I learned this week that I am procrastinating on until I pull up the notes app, is that the Swiss they are known nowadays for their neutrality, but in the 14th and 15th century, they were at the forefront of military innovation with the introduction of pike formations, and they were also known as fierce warriors who never took prisoners. Also, by the way, there was a um, uh, what? What's the word? There was a plan by Hitler back in World War II to invade Switzerland, but ultimately. Uh, just based on intel from the ground, they deemed that it would be too costly to go in there because the Swiss defense plan was essentially to fight to the last man—like insane people. I mean, it's just the, the most, maybe the craziest people in Europe, low key. When you when you really get right down to it, shout out to the Swiss—they're neutral now, and that's probably best for world peace. Uh, I'll talk to y'all next Tuesday. Enjoy. Whatever the hell you're watching nowadays, man, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do with football. I'll see you all later, though. Deuces.